the uh, SoundCloud page where this is available. They're, uh, we're going to be trying to archive it as we go along here. The um, program is you know, uh, going to be going on for as long as we, uh, we need to today. And uh, today being uh, the 14th of March, which is Free Agency Day, 2018, the most important offseason of our lifetimes. And this is a, um, a, a particularly memorable day in that it's uh, the, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I had a whole thing, you know, I, I, I was actually, I don't usually even uh, do this, but I was uh, doing some, you know, prep before the broadcast. I was listening, or uh, I was uh, actually taking down notes, you know, I was, and I don't usually do that because I usually just come in here extemporaneously. And maybe that's why I'm, um, you know, I've, I've, been, I've actually been taking some criticism lately because I kind of bounce around on a lot of things. And, uh, and, and that's just kind of like how I am. Like, I don't, I, there's not really a whole lot I can do about it. Cause somebody, and p- people have been asking me like, Hey man, you try to stay on topic. Maybe if you had like a helper, you could, you know, you could, you could do that. But and I just, I, I can't do that, you know? But so I was going to try to do that a little bit today. Um, and, and then of course the news drops. Um, and then of course get into the moves that have been made, the, um, uh, the moves that are reputed to soon uh, to become, you know, uh, finalized in uh, about an hour from now, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and then all of that gets dropped uh, because the thing that we didn't know, um, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I, I was I was pretty convinced it was going to happen, but uh, still there's that, that, you know, that glimmer, that faint. You know, even today I was trying to think, I was trying to justify the thought of, you know, maybe maybe this whole notion that we were going after Nate Solder so hard was actually because, uh, you know, Thomas was waiting to find out if, uh, if that uh, we were going to sign him before he was going to make his decision. But as it turns out, the great, the greatest of all time, Joe Thomas, after um, just a... An NFL career that is almost uh, impossible to describe. A, I mean, it, it's difficult to um, t- to talk about this because he's he's you know right up there one of my you know, favorite all time players with uh, uh, Eric Turner and Joshua Cribs. Kind of like those are the you know my top three. But it, Thomas Joe Thomas uh, retiring today after 13 years as uh, the you know as I said. A few moments ago, the greatest left tackle in the history of the game, and whether you you know you can disagree with that if you'd like, but you know the man went to the Pro Bowl every year of his career. He was on his way to another All Pro season. Uh, I believe he had eight total um, All Pro uh, berths, and just uh, never never missed a snap until the last one, ten thousand three hundred and sixty-three, and. As far I remember when the uh, stat uh, occurred when it was put up on the screen that as far as anyone knows that's the most in the recorded history of the game like nobody has ever but I mean it's not exactly a stat that's you know that's that's kept because you don't necessarily keep track of uh, injuries and and so on so it's you know statistics whenever you talk about all time it's you know when you go way back in the you know uh, earlier years in the league a lot of stuff wasn't kept track of like sacks for example but that's not really. See there, I go. That's exactly what I was talking about. I'm getting off topic. I'm, st- I'm, I'm, you know, stammering and yammering on about uh, about something else. When really the issue is that uh, we are, uh, you know, we're uh, as well as everything else that we'll be doing here today, um, as we talk about the free uh, agency moves being made by our beloved Roarange Helmets. Um, the um, 
you know, the, the Joe Thomas and what he meant to this organization, it's 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 way more than okay, this was a, a position that we had locked down that we didn't have to think about, you know? And that really has you know, the left tackle position and the offensive line, I mean, you go back to the uh you know, the expansion days, those of you that have been around for that long. And, uh, it, you know, in, in those days, the offensive line was a serious problem. It really was um, an impediment to any success we had. And eventually we, you know, added enough pieces to it and it all kind of came together. Uh, but then we put Joe Thomas there in 2007. And, you know, remember he was on his the day he was drafted, uh, how he didn't come out to um, – the uh, the ceremony in New York, and he was instead uh, at his with his dad fishing, and I just think that's you know that's and then you know and he's like oh yeah great I was drafted third overall well very cool I'm going to Cleveland, and he came to Cleveland and was great immediately. He was put in that starting lineup with that was the same year that we got Eric Steinbach if you remember that, and we also had Jamal Lewis that was the by the way that was the only year that uh, um. We uh, <laughs> did anything remotely well in 2014. We went seven and nine, but we went ten and six in Joe Thomas's rookie year. That was the year Derek Tom or uh, Derek Anderson ripped it up and um, had uh, Braylon Edwards had his best year as a pro, and uh, Joe Juravicious and you know Kellen Winslow had his uh, maybe his best year uh, or not one of them. It was just and Joe Thomas comes into the league. We go ten and six our first year. Can you imagine like? <laughs> the the sort of twisted, you know, I mean, that, and that ended up being not only his best season, but, I mean, it wasn't even close. The only season that came close to it, again, was 2014. And if you recall 2014, that was the year that we had the famed Bri Bri Hoyboy at the helm, and he quarterbacked us. And I, sh- I should be fair. I mean, because uh, Brian Hoyer was a, um, a you know... He he did what he could, you know. He came here and he was a starter for us. He won some games. I'm I'm throwing I'm showing some throwing some love out there to uh, my man Big Tom Brown because he's um, uh, confirming for me about you know he's he's kind of my uh, uh, audio technical on the spot specialist as far as the broadcast for today, and he is the resident number one uh, Brian Hoyer fan. Like uh, if and and I am it, look I am the as well as being the uh, president of the Sashi Apologist Society I, I'm also the number one Baker Mayfield fan of you know in in the world and so I you know I, as much as I'm obnoxious like that or my man John W is like um, uh, Kevin Hogan that's what BTB is all about with with Brian Hoyer and Hoyer when he was I see there again I'm getting off track I understand I get I, I can understand why people get frustrated with this but there's a point is that Hoyer came out there and did, you know, an okay job, and we got out to 7-4, and four. then the wheels fell off, and that was when Johnny Manziel came in, and it was just, you know, totally not prepared. for. And, and not I don't want to blame him necessarily for his lack of preparation. He shouldn't have been put in the game. You know, he just was not ready to be on the field at that point. And that, you know, speaks to the dysfunction of the franchise and yada yada. But that was... That was other than the ten and six rookie year for Joe Thomas, that was it. That was the one other season that wasn't a total, you know, flaming dog pile his entire time. And yet, the guy never complained. He showed up. He played like you know, he played at a top level at one of the game's most important positions for over a decade and stonewalled every every de- uh, defender that went went against him. I think I can count one bad game. It was the week uh, three, I think, against uh, maybe week five of the 2010 season against the Atlanta Falcons 
when, uh, for whatever reason, John Abraham just had his number, and that was he just he just he, and he beat him, he just, he, and that was he actually injured Seneca Wallace, which started the uh, the early career of Colt McCoy. So you know, there's 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 that, but. Other than that, Joe Thomas was dominant. I mean, not just great, but dominant his entire career. Very much including last season, and even all the way up to the last, his last play in the NFL, he's throwing Brian Arakpo to the ground. And uh, it ends up, uh, he, you know, a couple seconds later, he falls to the ground. And, uh, and that was it. And, and, uh, and, when, and like I say, I've been deluding myself. I've been, or at least I've been holding out hope is probably... And, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one that's been holding out hope, thinking that maybe, um, you know, it wouldn't go down this way, that maybe he'd be like, hey, you know, I really like what John Dorsey's got going on. And, you know, Tyrod Taylor's, you know, he's he's going to, you know, wh- whatever how, whatever it is that you that you told yourself that I told myself to rationalize. I got to tell you, when I saw him laying there on the ground, you know, against uh, the Titans, I, I, you know, I knew. I knew right then. I'm like, man, man, come on, get up, Joe. Get up. Come on. Come on, brother. Get up. Come on. I love you. Get up, man. And, you know, and and then after that, you know, after that, then it's just that, man, thank you, Joe. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, man, thank you for just being the, <laughs> I mean, top top three of Brown's all time. Who, who's better? Autogram, Jim Brown. Okay, I'll, I'll put them up there. Who's, who's, who else in the history of this franchise, which I know. Um, if you if you are a millennial and you don't have any um, inkling of what the NFL was like prior to like 1990 or 1995, especially, then you don't know that the Browns actually have a pretty rich history with a lot of really excellent players in our past. And I, you know, I, I definitely would put you know Brown and Graham because those guys are legit like top. You know, Brown's the best uh, running back, maybe top player of all time. Um, but. You know, but Joe Thomas is right there, you know, at the left tackle position. And, and as far as all-time left tackles are concerned, you know, I think that uh, Anthony Munoz, uh, Orlando Pace, those are guys that you know, we, we are, are comparable. But I don't, I, I, I don't think that any of that either of them were as dominant uh, for as long a period of time. I, they, I, as far as looking at their, I'd have to uh, pull out their stats. Fine, I, I know they didn't. Neither one of them played very much longer than Joe did. And you know he probably could have gone out there and um, given it a go, but he decided. And look. It, it, to 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 compete at that level, you know, for that long, but just to compete at that level, if you're not in it, um, you know, all the way. I'm going to use uh, no, actually, I'm not. I was going to I'm going to use a bad analogy. I'm not going to do that though. But just in I, w- I w- in any sort of major you know endeavor that you are involved in, I mean, if your heart's not in it a hundred percent. Or if you are not, you know, fully convinced that you can do it, right? It's not even so much about your heart being in it as much as you have, you know, confidence that you're going to be able to do it. And if you have that doubt, you know, that creeping doubt can be, you know, the difference, especially in a game like this where, you know, it's the difference between uh, success and failure. And his official statement, um, and I don't know that there's audio for this. I just, I'm, I'm reading this off of our, uh, the dogsbynature.com website, which of course is the, uh, the, homepage for where this uh, page emanates or originates, I should say. Uh, and this is the official statement. This was an extremely difficult decision, but the right one for me and my family. Playing in the NFL has taken a toll on my body, and I can no longer physically compete at the level I need to. From the moment I was drafted, the city embraced me in a way that I could never fully describe. I am proud to call Cleveland home. The loyalty and passion of the fans is unmatched, and it was an honor to play in front of them for the past 11 years. I would like to thank all of the coaches, teammates, staff, fans, and everyone who has shown me the support throughout my career. 
Even though I will be hanging up my cleats, I will always be a Cleveland Brown. I mean, that's... Yeah, man. J- Joe... T- <laughs> I mean, man, thank you, brother. That's that's all I can say. I mean, you... you that, that's... You you were a a, a a small bit of a, a small ray of sunshine in a dank dark wilderness these last well I mean since uh, since two thousand and seven uh, the the rookie year and again it's it's just, it's just tragedy that uh, his his rookie year but I mean for all of us that was the only since since nineteen ninety five we've had exactly two seasons the uh, two thousand and one. Uh, well, t- not 2000. 2002 is the year we went to the playoffs and lost in, in you know, epic uh, uh, disappointment to the Steelers, and that's not even something we need to rehash. But the tw- uh, 2007 season, we go 10 and six, and uh, that was, and we barely, you know, we make the playoffs at nine and seven in 2004, but then we go 10 and six and miss the playoffs, and that's why people hate Tony Dungy because he started uh, or he played Jim Sorge instead of uh, Peyton Manning, and so the Colts lose to the Titans, and we end up uh, missing out on the playoffs, and that was that. As far as Joe Thomas's uh, chances of getting to the postseason, that is just—I mean—it speaks to um, you know. There's at that point, it's it's more uh, appropriate to be upset with the franchise because uh, you can't you can't in any way blame Thomas. He played at an elite level, uh, and and the the guys that were the best in the game. You know they are the they'll the, be the first ones to say that Joe Thomas is um, is the best and uh, so you know that is um, obviously going to weigh heavily on on uh, the 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 whole conversation as we go into uh, today's analysis because now then of course uh, you know life goes on and uh, what we came here today to discuss before this was was going to be known it just happened to uh, you know uh, kind of break as it were you know shortly before uh you know the cast was begin was was about to begin today and that is the you know what this means now as far as the browns priorities in uh now this uh, this 2018 off season and the, over the last couple of days as i mentioned earlier Nate Solder the uh tackle for the patriots tom brady's uh, blindside protector for the past uh, I don't know how long he's been. I think seven years he's been in the league. But they he got a massive monster contract from the New York Giants. Uh, I think it was uh, f- like $15 million a year for a left tackle. And, you know, uh, t- Joe was uh, Joe got ended up, I think, with $13 million last year because Sashi gave him the raise, like, after he got injured. And it was a, a, a full-on, you know, hey, uh, hey, this is a bribe. Like <laughs> We would like to bribe you to play longer. And, uh, and you know, uh, hey, we don't, what else are you going to do? At that point, uh, you know him getting injured at the time uh, has a lot to do with it. And I mean, if you if you look at the guy, and this is by the way, if, if any anybody that is uh, listening, this is not criticism whatsoever. I, uh, but I mean, you look at the guy, and you can tell that he's he's definitely lost a lot of mass. You know, I mean, he's just and you know he, he's because he's been hurt, he hasn't been able to keep up the same uh, training regimen that you have to in order to stay at that sort of uh, physical condition. And so you know, in order to to uh, that's what I was, kind of what I'm getting at, I man. I'm sure that, like, if there was anything left for the guy to prove, that he could, you know, like, work, you know, the extra, you know, 150% he would need to over the next several weeks to get in the game shape to be ready by training camp to come out and be able to compete at the level that he needs to be able to compete at. Um, but I don't blame the guy one bit for, you know, deciding, hey, you know, it's, it's – I, I, first of all, that is – you know, it's not even. You don't even know if at that point if it's going to work. You may end up, you know, getting hurt again by trying to strain, you know, yourself to 
uh, to get back to that level too quickly. And so on top of that, you know, what else, what else is there? You know, the guy, the, guy, the guy is the standard by which, you know, left tackles will be judged and tackles, period, the, the position, will be judged moving forward until somebody comes along that's better than him, and I don't see that day coming. So uh, congratulations to a first ballot Hall of Fame career, Joe Thomas. Um, I, will, um, I, I will so thoroughly enjoy watching that ceremony five years from now. It's just really unfortunate that uh, I, I won't be able to look back on uh, your career with, uh, with, you know, with a, uh, a successful team uh, memory that I could associate you know, with your career. But what I can associate with your career was Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You just going out and stonewalling the other team's, uh, you know, best defenders. Um, so, with him being out, uh, the left tackle position. When when he did go out last year, when he was injured against the Titans, Spencer Drango, who was, uh, you know, brought in to be, uh, you know, presumably a guard, and he was listed on the the uh, depth chart that way, and uh, it was really, really kind of where he was played at for the first part of his career. All of a sudden, he's playing at left tackle, and you know, really did the same. You know, Brian Arakpo that Thomas threw to the ground on his final play, just you know, manhandled Drago after you know that that initial injury occurred. And then in the second game, he's going up against Everson Griffin and did much better in against Minnesota in London, and was a significant improvement from. And then for the rest of the year, for the most part, you know, really kind of held his own. Was he Joe Thomas? No. Uh, but the offensive line play overall didn't really uh, struggle with with Drango being there. Now, uh, what what is, is Drango the um, you know the, uh, the the number one option at that position heading into the offseason? I don't know the answer to that. I do know um, that the at least the tackle position uh, has been addressed uh, so far. It's actually been addressed. Twice, and we'll get to the um, you know all of the the uh, free agency moves that the Browns have have uh, made over the last. Uh, well, really going back to well, we talked. I mean, did talk on Saturday about the moves that were made on Friday with the the acquisition of Tyrod Taylor for our sixty five uh, number sixty five overall, the third the first pick in the third round in this year's draft. We traded for Tyrod Taylor. We also traded uh, a fifth round pick and next year's seventh round pick for. Um, uh, Jarvis Landry. I was drawing a blank on his first name. Jarvis Landry, who is now going to be, uh, our, our, I would say, a, a pretty important piece to uh, what we're doing there because he's a very, very sure-handed guy. I'm pretty excited about, about him. I know that not a lot of people are. Yeah, you know, if you know me, I've been, I really had no uh, expectations of, of John Dorsey, and the expectations that I did have were that he would not do well at all. <laughs> with, 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 and, and by that, I mean that he would, you know, over. Oh, I also can't uh, forget the, the trading of Deshaun Kaiser for Demarius Randall. And with, uh, with Dorsey, you know that he would do that. He would spend too much on players that were, you know, not that good, but technically upgrades over the young players that we currently have on the roster, and that in the process we would discard or, you know, uh, uh, you know, thwart or or you know, not uh, take advantage of the development through reps of players that otherwise could have developed into really solid players for guys that are pretty much at their ceilings as far as development is concerned, but they are, you know, they're marginally better right now and we got to win right now because we're one in 31 and all that. And, and, um, you know, and, and look at, I, <laughs> I don't like one in 31 any more than anybody else, but you know what I, I like 
um, even less than 1 in 31, having nothing to show for 1 in 31 because we blow all of this capital that we've acquired uh, over the the last couple of years and make a bunch of uh, short-sighted decisions. Having said that, I am not making that judgment right now of John Dorsey. I'm just telling you what my expectations were. Uh, him walking in the door. And it really didn't have as much to do with him. Well, it does because of the things that he said, because he does come across as, you know, like that's why we've given him the name Meathead. But also just the the whole power structure uh, with the way that, you know, everybody reports to the owner, and it's just it's just not a healthy situation. It really doesn't have as much to do with him as much as it does uh, the, the, the lackluster way in which he no doubt came to be hired in that position uh, as, you know, as it came to be. But be that as it may. He's there, and I want him to do well. And so far, the moves that he's made, while they kind of fit, you know, a lot of what I was saying, we're okay, we're overpaying, and then getting rid of guys like Danny Shelton on Saturday, uh, was not thrilled about that for functionally, yes, an, an improved uh, draft position. We're going to go from uh, a, a solid fifth-round pick to a late third-round pick, uh, and deferred from uh, this year. To, we'll get it next year for Shelton. Uh, and that's something uh, it's something worth spending a, a couple of moments on because I, while I'm not a fan of it, I understand it. It's just it's not a move that I would have made. But the thing, you know, I'm not going to agree with everything, and I get that. And I'm also not going to – you know, I was uh, a huge supporter of of what Sashi Brown was doing. And while I think that it was, you know, really, you know, not smart to get rid of him, and it was, you know – I. I've been very vocal about that. At the same time, that doesn't mean that I'm now rooting for John Dorsey to not be successful, so that way I can say, see, Sashi was better. It doesn't do anybody any bit of good to, to root for that to happen, and, and and certainly that's not... So even though I don't agree... I, 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 it's, oh, okay, I shouldn't say that I don't agree with the moves that have been made. I, I wouldn't have gone about it the way that he's gone about it thus far. But that doesn't mean that the way that he's gone about it thus far um, is the worst way of doing things, uh, is will ultimately end up being unsuccessful, or I'll throw this in that Sashi might not have done himself. I mean, the, the move to offload Shelton, even though he's only going to cost like, t- and, and you know, people can correct me uh, if I'm wrong. I'm going to do a write up at the end of all of this for the various um, uh, um, sections of the of the uh, cast the bro- the program that we're doing today. We're going to like I say, we're going to go as late as as we need to because four o'clock is when all this stuff uh, becomes official, and we'll you know track kind of what's going on. Uh, with the moves being made and so on, and how far into the evening we go with that uh, remains to be seen. But what I'm going to attempt to do as we go along here is to um, save the portions of the broadcast uh, as like hour by hour and post them up to the SoundCloud page so that you can, you know, if, if you are, so like if you can't listen via the Facebook uh, live function later on, you know, if you miss a portion of it or whatever, you can go and you can listen to it that way. If, if you, you know, if, if you are just that into it that you need to hear it uh, again, which I appreciate. And I appreciate you listening to this, by the way. It's just um, the uh, the second time that we have gone live here on the DBN Network. The first was the most important draft time, draft of our lifetimes, 2017 coverage, which was three days worth of, you know, kind of round uh, by round, you know, every, taking in what the Browns did in the draft, which we'll be also doing again this year. And I'll have a, a sidekick with me. Darth Batman will join me as, with uh, the uh, the coverage of that, which I'm looking forward to ha- having his opinion and perspective as we go. We did 24 hours last year, and, and we'll probably do more than that this time around. And uh, that 
so this is that was the only other time besides now that we've used the live function. So I appreciate you being there, uh, and and certainly welcome any input. I can't necessarily see what you're talking about on the uh, the the, um, the live screen on the Facebook chat there, but. In, certainly in the article uh, that accompanies all of this, if you want to give criticisms about anything that I'm talking about, that would pro- probably be the best place to do it. Or send me an email, uh, easyweave at gmail.com. Or you could like me on Facebook, and or, I mean, uh, friend me on Facebook, and, you know, we can be friends. And you could send me a message and curse me out that way if you want to. People do it all the time, actually. And, uh, and, it's, and it's a rollicking good time for all involved. Nevertheless, uh, getting back to our, uh, our roster situation, um, yesterday... The rumors started to percolate, and at this point, um, and Sassanok, our guy that is uh, uh, a pretty avid listener and uh, I, I would say constructive criticizer of the of, of what we do here on the network, he mentioned that what we were going to do today is probably going to end up being uh, somewhat uh, anticlimactic because all of the real news is going to break over the weekend and yesterday, and I think. Uh, there's, he probably was dead on right about that because so much. I mean, really, the big news today was was uh, Joe Thomas and his retirement, but the and his the announcement of his retirement. Uh, and, but there have also been several other uh, key things that have been uh, decided that, that have happened as of as of today. Things that have been rumored. Uh, well, I mean, they're basically been confirmed at this point. So the uh, to go point by point, we'll start off with uh, former Detroit Lions tight end Darren Fells is uh, joining the team for three years, $12 million. And he's uh, regarded generally as a blocking tight end. Uh, we're going to na- kind of analyze all of these after I kind of go through the roster of, of who they are. The second is uh, former Kansas City tight end, or uh, cornerback, excuse me, Terrence Mitchell. Three years, $12 million, so pretty similar contracts for uh, – Fells and Mitchell to newest Browns also and this one is you know this one's enjoyable for me personally because I'm a I'm a, a, home, a Buckeye homer and that's Carlos Hyde the running back formerly of the San Francisco 49ers and the Ohio State University and he was uh, signed to a three-year deal will be replacing Isaiah Crowell who incidentally is reported to be uh, signing with the New York Jets the contract for Carlos Hyde is uh, three years, fifteen million, and uh, six million in year one. The that was that, that's I guess that's probably the the biggest move of today that's been made. And like I said, that's uh, well, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to uh, analyze all of these kind of separately as we go through it. Then the we didn't uh, get Nate Solder as mentioned earlier. We did, however, uh, pick up. Chris Smith, the defensive end from Cincinnati, and he's another one that is kind of you know he's he's well I should say he's somebody that's not really looked at to be a starter. You'd figure he's probably going to be uh, rotational uh, depth behind Miles Garrett, and I would say I would say he'll probably end up knocking out Emmanuel Ogba. Uh, but he was a you know pretty a pretty um, effective player in uh, the pass rush, and he comes from a division rival, so not bad there. And another division rival signing was the Steelers' right tackle Chris Hubbard, five years, thirty-seven point five million. Now this comes out yesterday, and I think that a lot of the assumption was that uh, this was going to be the uh, replacement for Sean Coleman, who I think performed well 
Uh, not, you know, I, I think he did about what Mitchell Schwartz did his second year in the league, minus the getting manhandled by Cameron Wake and um, Elvis Doomerville. And if you watched either one of those games, that's, you know, not trying to be critical. He's He got a lot better after those two games and settled into a really good career. But I look at his career in, uh, uh, what was that, 2013, 20, yeah, 2013 was his second year, and it's not terribly dissimilar from Sean Coleman's last year. But whatever, um, it, that, that was the thought, but because he's played cuz uh Hubbard played right tackle for Pittsburgh. Uh now it, with the, in light of the news about uh, Thomas's Joe Thomas's retirement, it's uh well now it's it's open to speculate about how that's all going to work out. Is Hubbard going to play left tackle? Is he going to uh or is he going to go over to the right side and Sean Coleman move over to the left side? Uh and I think also and I'm just kind of going through the list here to make sure that I didn't forget anybody that we've added well i i uh there is also the uh the tackle stevenson uh sorry here the the list was in front of me and i moved it off the screen which is not you know that's not your problem i'm just telling you why i'm not i don't have the guy's name in front of me but stevenson he's a tackle from uh, denver and apparently not a terribly good one but this was a, a depth signing that uh that uh is adding to the offensive line group and along with Chris Hubbard, who I would say is probably going to end up being the starter at one of those positions at this point. Well, with uh, the retirement of Joe Thomas at the and along with that now uh, looking at the, the other signings and kind of how they affect the team with uh, Chris Smith being signed. Uh, I, you know, I, does that necessarily affect what we would do in the draft as far as uh, Bradley Chubb? I would say that the three-cone for Chubb would have more of an effect on that <laughs> as far as taking him at number four. But as we go along here, we're definitely going to talk about what the um, the possible scenarios could be for the Browns draft because obviously uh, the free agent period is a, a big determiner of you know how the draft is going to play out. And certainly there's a lot of questions that we've been asking and uh, you know wondering how it was all going to work out, what we were going to target, how we were going to go about uh, prosecuting the draft. And with kind of those questions some of those questions being answered now who the bridge quarterback is going to be if you want to look at it that way that's now Tyrod Taylor uh certainly the the development quarterback isn't going to be Deshaun Kaiser because he's not on the team anymore and we've got now a a a guy that has been a feature back um Carlos Hyde from the 49ers a guy who is a really good prospect is he does he really move the needle all that much I don't know I think that with Duke Johnson uh, uh, already on the team, and Duke, the there was talk about him inking a an extension uh, over the last couple of days. So that's you know that's that's positive as far as um, you know as far as the uh, uh, the backfield is concerned with those two guys. And then I think Matt Days had you know pretty solid rookie year, a guy that was drafted three picks before the final pick of the draft last year. You, you know, as a as the third back in the rotation, that's you know that's that's not really terrible, uh, is it? It's in fact, I would say the potential to be pretty good, possibly. You know, Isaiah Crowell, um, I, I don't I don't know what it was about his career. And I mean, there 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 was just always something he just could never really quite get it going. He'd have some games where he would just look tremendous, but there was just I don't know. Um, maybe the fact that maybe he was just a much better zone type back. And we did zone his rookie year. He looked that was I thought he looked best in his uh, in his rookie season. 
Um, but, he, but then he had moments. He had, he had like that 200-yard game against San Francisco and uh, in, you know, one of the only three games that we won in 2015 and uh, had a couple of solid games over the last couple of years. Led our team in rushing three straight years, first time since Kevin Mack to do that. But um, I don't know. I, I, I look at, at, uh, at this as at least a lateral move. I don't think that we downgraded, certainly, by uh, taking uh, Hyde over uh, Crowell. And as far as uh, what he'll do with the Jets, you know, I, 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 we'll see if the turf monsters follow him there. We'll also see if he still has the issue of uh, running up the back of uh, people's legs. And I, look, I'm not, I'm not one on hating on people that leave the team. I don't really have any bad I, – I don't, I don't have anything for or against Isaiah Crowell. He's no longer a Brown, and that's cool. I mean, you know, via con Dios, <laughs> do, do what you got to do. And, but I don't really care, you know, one, one way or another at that point. Uh, but I'm just saying he, he had – I'm, I'm not really all that upset to see him go, uh, and I'm I'm pretty pleased to see the addition of Carlos Hyde. Even though I I still would probably want to draft one of these uh, uh, really promising, dra- but then again, at that point, then now that means you're probably going to end up discarding days. We did sign Danny Vitale to a contract extension, or um, yeah, uh, which that's uh, you know kind of interesting because he wasn't really used all that much last year, even though he's a guy that we you know. I think should use. I think he's uh, when he was uh, put in the game plan, uh, he seemed like he was effective. He seemed like he was able to get kind of the tough yards inside. That uh, just that, that, I guess that's the element that seems to have been missing over the last couple of years. And you hope that that's the thing that maybe uh, Hyde could be able to help with. Uh, it, you know, be that guy that can that can kind of get the tough yards and the goal line situation, third and short, and what have you. Um, but, you know, we'll see. And, it, it, uh, look, of course, a lot of that has to do, you know, function of the offensive line, certainly. And the offensive line now with uh, with Thomas being gone and with the addition of Hubbard and with now the, you know, the question marks of – I mean, like, I don't really have a whole lot of question marks as far as Sean Coleman is concerned. I was thinking, okay, we pretty much got the right tackle position, um, you know, figured out, and maybe that's what the plan is going to continue to be and Hubbard slides over to the left side. Coleman did play left tackle in college, though. He played left tackle at Auburn. So, you know, maybe that's um, you know, maybe that's in the plans. But I don't – you know, we talked about this a couple years ago on the Chow. I had a long conversation about just how easy it is for players to move from the right side to the left side or vice versa when they've played there for a long period of time. And I think that there's a, a really good argument to be made that it's not the easiest thing in the world to just move from the left side to the right side – or uh, or the other way around because you know you you are so used to you know you have the muscle memory of uh, you know kick stepping out in a certain way and having that technique technique um, you know kind of codified into your whole routine and to try to to I, I think that there's people that could probably do it and there's probably people that can do it easier than others just because you know brain types and so forth but uh, it's it's just not the easiest thing in the world to assume that people can do it. But then again, Coleman did it in college and, you know, did it well enough to be drafted in the third round and then, um, you know, was drafted uh, by us where he's played on the right side. So, I mean, it can be done. People have done it. Uh, but he's, you know, I, I, I uh, would, would assume at that point that that's what the plan is going to be unless, you know, we, uh, we pull the trigger on a tackle in the draft. So... You know, um, in, in in and before we get into all of that, some of the other things that uh, have happened around the league, of course, uh, the the big I think the the biggest news story or the biggest uh, most followed story, I should say, of the the story with the most interest has been the uh, the the saga of Kirk Cousins and how you know the, the Redskins have a a you know a franchise quarterback that they've essentially let get away 
into free agency, a very rare occurrence. It really is. It's it's rare that a guy like Kirk Cousins uh, ends up getting – you even get a chance to sign a guy like that. And a lot of people were thinking that we would be a team that would be in play. I never really thought that that was realistic. But uh, as it turns out, he is going to the Minnesota Vikings. And that team, you would figure, um, all of a sudden looks pretty dangerous. Uh, but, I mean, it's – I. I I'm not so sure about that, only because people make assumptions about things, and, and team chemistry is so important, and I just don't know that, um, that you can plug and play. But, we'll, I mean, obviously we're going to find out. Uh, and Cousins with a, uh, a supporting cast, you know, the receivers, although he didn't have bad receivers in Washington, but the receivers in Minnesota are, are, are tough and good. The, uh, you know, they got some good uh, players in the running game, although Jerick McKinnon is no longer uh, with uh, the Vikings, but they're going to get, uh, Dalvin Cook back next year but that defense is very solid and so they just you know the Vikings look like they're going to be a solid contender the quarterback that and so they had the Vikings were really a team that it kind of figures that Cousins would go to Minnesota because the Minnesota was the other team that really kind of um, had the treasure chest of and, and also had kind of determined what was going to happen with a lot of these other quarterback decisions around the league because they had three guys that potentially uh were because they Minnesota was in a uh, you know uh, an interesting spot if if you're not familiar with their uh how they arrived there they they drafted Teddy Bridgewater uh with a first pick uh, with their first uh draft pick or I should say with a first round draft pick uh in two, 2014 the last pick of the fir- of the first round and he was their you know he was their starting quarterback he has a catastrophic knee injury and gets hurt they then go out and trade a first-round pick for Sam Bradford, who the Eagles were willing to uh, part with ways with because they had just drafted Carson Wentz, who was looking like he was going to be able to take over earlier than they thought he would be able to. So that ended up working out pretty well uh, for for the Eagles, and it worked out uh, fairly well for the Vikings too. Bradford did not uh, uh, play badly for Minnesota, but then in the first game this last year, he gets hurt. Uh, in the first game, played very, very well in the first game, but then he uh, he gets hurt, and he basically didn't play for the rest of the year. Case Keenum comes in and leads uh, the Vikings to the NFC Championship game, asterisk. And so, you know, they, that's such a rare uh, situation where you've got three guys on a team. Any of them can be a starter, but then you end up giving all of them away, and a team that was successful, Right. And you end up discarding all of them, but then you go out and get a guy that is potentially better than uh, than any of the three, and that's uh, that's you know the, uh, it's <laughs> got to hand it to Minnesota they uh, the, the, they got the guy that they wanted, and thus the three guys that that le- that leave Minnesota now, Sam Bradford uh, is going to the Arizona Cardinals. And I want to make sure that I have that right. <laughs> I, the, uh, keeping track of all of this, uh, Case Keenum is going to the Denver Broncos, and Teddy Bridgewater signed with the. Uh, and again, all of this is unofficial. It's going to become official here uh, over the next little while. But Bridgewater signed with the will be signing with the New York Jets, and that's a. Uh, I think a. The Jets next year, if Teddy Bridgewater and, and Teddy Bridgewater, I've t- if you've ever listened to me, you know I love Teddy Bridgewater. If anytime I talk about him, he was he was my guy one hundred percent in the twenty fourteen draft. I wanted him so bad, but didn't work out that way. 
And uh, he then had, I thought, a really uh, promising first couple of years in Minnesota. Then he gets hurt. And now, I mean, he was cleared to play last year. He could have come back. But, uh, you know, he uh, – it's, it's such a – it is such a, a challenge for a team when you're winning, you know, and the guy that, that – that was – and all year long, uh, um, Zimmers, you know, wouldn't – would not commit to uh, Case Keenum, who just kept going out there and winning. You know, and so Bridgewater, you know, even though he could play, he uh, could not um, get in. He couldn't get put in the game because they they weren't ready to take him out because Keenum just kept taking him to you know where uh, you know they kept winning games with him there. And then Bradford eventually, you know, he, he was, I think he was able to play too, but it was the same type thing. So then Keenum essentially proves that he's at least a guy that can play in the league. Now, whether or not he's a guy that you can just plug in there and be the starter is, you know, I think kind of a dubious proposition, but the Denver Broncos are going, that's what they're going for, and so they they have signed him, and that makes, you know, what they do rather interesting. And all of these, you know, moves are, are they do have an impact on us uh, as the draft unfolds. And, again, we're going to get into all that as um, as we move through. we got, there's <laughs> certainly going to be a lot to talk about um this afternoon with with everything that's that's uh going on but those moves uh they they do impact what those teams those respective teams are now going to do with the quarterback position bridgewater's a guy that if he can play like i was saying about the jets if if he can turn it back on if he actually is not hurt the jets they may have got a franchise quarterback on the cheap they basically may have done what we tried to do with with uh, robert griffin a couple years ago and it didn't work out uh, but he very well may be able to do that if he can stay healthy. But chances are they're still going to be they, – they probably are still going to be going after a quarterback, you would think, right? I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that – because what – I mean, they, still, they also signed Josh McCown. So is that your, is that your one-two? You know, is that what you're going to roll with going into the year with Bridgewater as number one? And then if he gets hurt, then you're going to bring in Drago? I mean, that's not the worst thing that you could do, uh, certainly, but – I, you know, I don't know. I'm 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 more. Uh, I'm just. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm just. I'm not buying that that any of those teams that that have gotten any of the Minnesota quarterbacks are now, which is you know kind of speaks to the to where Minnesota was at. They're like we can't really count on any of these guys to be the long term answer. So it's a huge gamble. For them to not sign any of them, it worked out because they got the best quarterback that was available on the open market. So they are going to be very formidable next year. No, no two ways about it. They are. You figure, you know, they they should be a a, a solid contender in the NFC. Um, but the other guys, you know, Keenum, even though he had a good year, is you know, again, can you can you count on that being? what he's going to be able to do going to Denver. Certainly I'm not hoping for that because, you know, it's, it's, you're, all, you're always rooting against Elway. That's just kind of the way it, it, it always is always going to be. But um, the, uh, you know, all of those, what all of that means is that those guys are going to be, those teams, I should say, are still going to be potentially looking for quarterbacks in the draft. You know, because they're, and because and, there's a lot of good quarterbacks that are available in this draft. And as such, um, 
if you play out our scenario, of course, I'm a big-time, long-time, very uh, enthusiastic supporter of Baker Mayfield. But at the same time, I'm I'm also realistic enough to know that the guy that I want is not always the guy that we get. Just mentioned Teddy Bridgewater, and we end up taking Johnny Manziel. Okay, fine. Uh, this time around, I want... Uh, that that was not an equitable trade, but there are four guys. There really are four guys that you could look at as, you know, any of these guys could be serious uh, prospects for us at the, with the number one overall pick. And if we end up with any of them, and, and I'm talking very specifically about in the order that I would choose them, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, uh, Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold, I would take any of them. They uh, Mayfield, I is as confident about as a quarterback prospect as just about anybody that I've ever scouted. Uh, And I'm not that I'm any kind of scout, but I'm just saying anybody that I've ever gotten excited about watching in college coming to the pros, I don't think they have ever been as excited about anybody as I am Baker Mayfield in our situation this year. Now the other guys, uh, Lamar Jackson is a. I think he could be a transformative player at the position. He's, I think he's not getting enough attention about what sort of incredible prospect that he is and the sort of, of I mean, franchise-changing impact he could have uh, for somebody out there. I'm, and I mean he is as a passer. And then you throw in the fact that he's got you know skills uh, with the ball in his hand that are, that are potentially never been seen at the quarterback position, even including Michael Vick. Uh, but then, and that's why, but I have he and, you know, the three of these guys close. I have he and Rosen and Darnold close. Uh, and I really like all of them. You know, I just like Mayfield more than them. But either way, I'm fine with any of those guys. But we pick the quarterback number one, whoever it is. I would figure, and people have been talking about the Giants taking Saquon Barkley, the running back out of Penn State. I'm I'm not um, I'm not thinking that that's what's, what's uh, going on. I think that they're going to go quarterback. And which would mean that two of these guys are going to be off the board. Then you have the Colts sitting there at three. You wouldn't think that they would be drafting a quarterback because they're going to get uh, Andrew Luck back at some point, we think. But they might consider trading it to one of those teams that are still needy out there, and it could be one of these guys, one of these teams that just signed Minnesota former quarterbacks that are looking at, you know, maybe it it were to go like, uh, you know, we take uh, Mayfield, the Giants take Rosen, and then the Jets trade with the Colts and swoop up and take um, Lamar Jackson at number three. I could absolutely see it playing out this way. Now, it, number four, there we are. We have the uh, opportunity to do whatever we want. We could take any position player we want. We could take Barkley. We could take Chubb. We could take uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. We could take uh, wh- whoever you like. Uh, Ward, wh- whoever it is that you like, we-, we could take that guy. Or, you know, Denver's sitting there, and they got Case Keenum, and they know that, we're not going to draft a quarterback, but maybe we could convince them that somebody is willing to uh, trade the farm to get whoever it is that they want. Maybe they really want Josh Allen, or maybe they really want Sam Darnold. Or maybe they'd take either of those guys and they're willing to stand pat. But if they really, really, really love one of them, then wouldn't it be sweet if we could trade down one pick with them and get, you know, something, get, get a high pick from them from next year? That would be, you know, and so all of the, and those are all teams that are, uh, potentially you know that were involved in some of the transactions with some of these quarterbacks that have been moving around the league because this has been a year where there have been an inordinate amount of quarterbacks available both via free agency and in the draft and of course one guy that that it was thought that we were going to be um uh pursuing heavily 
is A.J. McCarron from uh, Cincinnati. He played with uh, Hugh Jackson there. Of course, there was the uh, the, the famed and uh, the notorious botched trade at the deadline where apparently we were willing to give up a second rounder and a third rounder for McCarron, uh, a move that um, you know stands in some controversy if you don't believe the veracity of the team's statement that basically – we uh, uh, just we just really, we just screwed it up, you know. We just made a mistake, and that was that. Uh, I, you know, I have, I, I have my skepticism. I think that maybe there was a, 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 a just maybe just a little bit of sabotage going on because somebody may have looked at the uh, the compensation for what was going in both directions and was like, "Are you people out of your mind?" Because that's kind of how I think I would have uh, reacted if I were in a similar. Uh, spot, but you know, whatever. That's that's all uh, all water under the bridge at this point. And so here we are. We did trade a third rounder for Tyrod Taylor, and now uh, what that is potentially going to mean for uh, for our quarterback uh, situation uh, now and moving forward is uh, it, you know it, it's 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 going to be interesting to see how much how how much impact he's going to have with sixteen million dollars on the, you know cap hit for this year and trading a third round pick for a guy that we you know that is not under contract through uh, after next year especially if we draft a guy and he ends up playing but th- to me this is um a pretty solid move i'm i'm not you know i mentioned on on the saturday cast that i'm not really bummed out about the the loss of the pick or the amount of money because the guy is at at least a decent and i'm not not good i'm not saying that he's uh, going to go out there and win you a whole bunch of games, but he's he's not probably not going to lose you a whole lot either, and that was definitely a problem last year. If he's our quarterback last year, um, see, but it's hard to say because he was still our coach last year. But if he was our quarterback last year, we'd probably scratch out three, four games. I don't know, uh, but there because there was quite a few that just you know were were, were struggles because of um, the the inefficiency of the quarterback position, and of course you know the guy that we had you know, slinging it last year is now a Packer. So we're definitely going to have a different quarterback room. We still do have Cody Kessler. We still do have Kevin Hogan. But we, you know, but Hugh Jackson, in talking um, at the combine a couple weeks ago, mentioned, said point blank that we're going to be adding a. He didn't say this in a press conference. He said it in an interview, and I don't think that he meant to reveal this. So this is why I, I think I can believe it, which is that uh, he is, you know, that we're going to be adding a young quarterback to the quarterback room. Okay, well then, you know, now we have uh, Tyrod and and uh, and those other guys, Cod and, and Hogger, that will be backing up, you know, pulling up the third. You would think that those guys will probably battle it out for the third uh, spot if we even keep three quarterbacks, and then the rookie. You would think at at uh at number one overall so at any rate that's um that's kind of how uh it's and to me the quarterback position is really you know the only one that matters as far as uh okay it all matters right all of these roster spots matter all of the cap money matters it all matters and that's what the last couple of years have been all about. That's why the way that this team was being put together, I was very enthusiastic about the direction it was going in because I could see the big picture scheme, at least the way that it appeared to me, it was all being put together, which is that we acquire picks because we are in an advantageous position. The first real hard, painful pill to swallow was the trading of the number two all the way down to number eight and then trading the eight down to 15. But that that combination of trade downs netted us a stockpile of draft picks that then 
were multiplied from that point forward because then in the following and then that year even though we we acquired all of that future draft capital we also acquired a whole bunch of draft picks in that draft in 2016 so we drafted a whole bunch of guys and then we got a whole bunch of draft picks for the following year then in 2017 we did the exact same thing we acquired a whole boatload of new draft picks while also drafting a whole bunch of new guys at very high uh, selections and that that and so here we are this year with the opportunity to to do the exact same thing. Now we have traded away, uh, what I think we've we've uh, we've traded away a three, a four, and a five, but we've also swapped. I think that's accurate, but we also swapped uh, the four and a five with uh, which I guess now is just a four with Green Bay. So we did get one of them back. <clears throat> so we've 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 already relinquished, but we had a lot of draft picks to to start with. We still have quite a few. Uh, in the back pocket, we set, we still have five in the first sixty-four now, uh, so we, it's not like we don't have a lot of draft picks. But we could we could still take the fourth and move it down the line to stockpile more picks for next year. The point is by doing this, and the way that it worked last year was if 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 this is how it was designed, which you would figure it would be, then there's no reason not to emulate this strategy, which is okay. You target a team that would likely draft a quarterback that you don't think is worth taking with the selection that you have. In our case, last year it was Deshaun Watson, and the team was the Houston Texans. Now, the calculation is that they're going to be start. They're probably going to end up starting this guy, and teams that start rookie quarterbacks are probably going to have lousy years. Thus, if you now. That can be debatable because Deshaun Watson had a lot of very good games, put up a lot of really good numbers last year in the limited time that he played. But then he got hurt, and then Houston struggled mightily. They also had some killer injuries on defense, and basically they lost all of their major contributors on the defensive line and their, their from their pass rush, especially. And so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was downhill for the Texans, especially after they lost Watson and. Okay, that was a calculation that ended up working out because now we have the fourth overall pick. So we're sitting here with the fourth overall. And let's say that uh, it goes down more or less like uh, I, I just described there, and we've got a team. Let's say it's not the Broncos. Let's say there's another team out there that is last year's Kansas City Chiefs that is looking at, you know, if the first three quarterbacks are off the board, one, two, three, then there's going to be a team out there that is looking at that fourth guy and is going to be like, you know what? I, I, he, we're not going to get another shot. This is this is the guy, and they may give up. What did Dorsey give up? He gave up the first pick last year, the first pick uh, this year, and what a third rounder I think is what ended, what he ended up giving to Buffalo for uh, to to uh, jump up and draft Mahomie in last year's draft. So you know maybe there's a team out there that is similarly similarly uh, constituted and motivated. And we're sitting there with the 24th, maybe not a team like Kansas City, because, that, again, you try to target a team that um, is probably going to end up starting that rookie. And at this point, with the Jets having picking up Bridgewater and with uh, uh, the Donkeys picking up uh, Keenum and uh, Arizona was the other team I said he picked up Sam Bradford. So that may be the team that you would figure would have the most because uh, it's a guy that's you know super-duper injury-prone. Although he's had stretches uh, where he's been, where, you know, where he's been serviceable and so forth, been able to uh, stay on the field, um, but then not really a whole lot behind that. So you'd figure that they would be, but you know, so if they if they were to draft a guy, is he likely to start? Because they're a pretty good team. Besides, although first year head coach, you know, difference of scheme. You take all that in, into consideration, 
and you look at, okay, is this team likely, with what they're going to do with this and how their team is currently constituted and where they are directionally as an organization, are they likely to have a bad year? All right, it didn't work out the year with, uh, with Buffalo. And it didn't look like it was going to work out for us uh, at the beginning part of this year with, with Houston, but then they tapered off. Watson got hurt. We ended up getting lucky. And if we're able to identify another team like that, it's a pretty good strategy because what it means is that next year, either we're going to continue to be lousy um, and then we're still going to have a high draft pick, uh, but even if not, or it, whether, whatever it is that we do, we're still probably going to have a pick that you got a, really, you got a pretty good shot of it being mm, at least mid-range. And last year, we were able to turn that mid-range pick, the number 12 overall, into you know two picks, in, including uh, a first-rounder this year, which is that four overall that we can In other words, we just continue multiplying this into the future, and each year, we are continuing to draft multiple first-round players. And if you're drafting multiple first-round players, and now again, this is not, this was never an announced strategy by Sashi Brown and crew or the analytics team. It's just what looked to be what we were doing, which was multiplying picks by you know strat- strategically you know trading them to partners that would likely be failures but then also just in every way that you can multiplying the number of of uh of of uh, swings of the bat that you're able to take at the draft position sashi famously said you know we're no better at evaluating talent than anybody else what he was admitting is that most people are people there's not really a whole lot of separation in terms of uh, people's ability to draft well our guy on um, on the threads, FarmFest, did this uh, big study a couple years ago. And I mean, literally, he went through every team's draft going back like 15, 20 years or whatever to see how good they did, which to find out, you know, are these, uh, talking about first rounders, and to see like, okay, our teams are the good teams just really good at picking talent. And the bad team's just really bad at picking talent. Well, the one thing that's consistent is that, yeah, we are pretty bad at picking talent if you look at it from the standpoint of that talent ultimately not, you know, working out and, and doing well in the league, um, which is its own discussion. But that even the teams that did well, even teams like, you know, New England and Green Bay and whoever else, you know, Pittsburgh, those guys had lots of misses in there too. Everybody misses. That's the point. Dorsey is going to miss. That's why I don't think that it's really necessary to uh, t- to lambaste the guy for every uh, wrong decision that he makes because he's going to make wrong decisions. Everybody does. But uh, but that doesn't mean that he still can't do um, a good job here um, with, with, with this. But it does mean that the strategy of having, you know, multiple first-round picks every year it was a pretty good one, you know. And last year, we I think we landed two guys – that are you know, Garrett and Njoku that are, okay, those guys are going to work out. I think, you know, they're kind of exceptions to the, the easy three-year rule that you have to, you should wait three years before really judging that. But I also grant an exception to uh, Jabril Peppers, and I hope that I'm wrong about that, but that's, don't need to continue uh, uh, beating that horse. Um, so, uh, with respect to, um, you know, how all of this uh, uh, ties in with, what we're doing now uh, is that it, it it looks like um, and also along with the the sashi strategy analytics whatever you want to call it, money ball is that we're constantly trying to trim the fat from the salary standpoint and keep the rosters as tight as possible so that when we actually do start hitting on some of these picks because just by sheer numbers we're going to start hitting on good players 
and it's going to take some time, it's going to take some years, but eventually we're going to start hitting on these guys, and when that happens, we got to sign them. we got to be able to um, retain them, and that's expensive. It gets really expensive when you start talking about uh, players at the skill positions and the quarterback, and then guys that, you know, Miles Garrett and the kind of contract that he's going to command one day. Uh, not too far from now, four years from now, that is, it's probably three years from now is when the negotiations are going to be getting going for. That's probably when the re-sign is going to happen. This stuff happens quickly. And so that's why, you know, the, the, the kind of you know, very, uh, I, I thought the very prudent way that we, we did everything we could to stockpile both cash and draft picks was smart. And it was a sustainable plan for eventually putting us in a an advantageous uh, roster position. Um, it's just that, you know, and, and I understand that there are people that virulently oppose this uh, this idea or they don't like this strategy or they think that it is a full-on failure by virtue of the record uh, over the last two years. I, I, okay, fine. I, I can understand that disagreement. But at the same time, this was never going to be done in two years. This was always going to be a long-term project that was going to take a long time to get done. Uh, at least that was my understanding going into this. I never went into this thinking we better have this thing figured out in two years, because that would be a, a that would be a huge a hugely disappointing thing, <laughs> because it's not going to happen in two years. Uh, it's just not possible for it to happen in two years. Um, especially- Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week, I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.